0: Chapter 3 of Mystery at Number 6 This is a LibriVox recording all LibriVox recordings are in the public domain for more information or to volunteer please visit librivox.org The Mystery at Number 6 by Augusta Hugh Seaman Chapter 3 Jerry Sawgrass entertains Bernice spent the next two days in excited speculation. Decided zest was added to her wonderful new life in Florida by the introduction of so piquant a matter as they had accidentally stumbled across. When her cousin was at length free to take an afternoon off again, she straightway proposed that they visit Number Six and try to see the curious new inhabitants of the old farmhouse. Yes, and I want to thank that girl too, for what she did, agreed Sydney. What do you think would be nice for us to take her, something she wouldn't be likely to have? How would a book do, or some candy? Don't take a book, laughed Bernice. She probably can't even read if she's come from such an uncivilized place as the Everglades. Let's get a big box of the nicest bonbons we can find. I warrant that will be something she's never had before. Accordingly, armed with a five-pound box of chocolates, they drove to Number 6 in the Ford the next afternoon, intent on the payment of their debt of gratitude." as the road around to the grove was very rough and cut by old railroad tracks they decided to leave the car where it had stood on their first visit and proceed on foot much to their surprise sounds of shouting and laughter and splashing came to them as they drew near the pool and curious to learn the cause of it they crept noiselessly to the edge THE SIGHT THAT MET THEIR GAZE TOOK THEIR BREATH AWAY, AND ALMOST bowled THEM OVER. SEATED ON THE EDGE OF A HIGH BANK ABOVE THE POOL WAS THE GIRL, ATTIRED IN A TATTERED BATHING SUIT, WITH A LONG POLE SHE WAS PRODDING AT SOMETHING DOWN BELOW, SOMETHING THAT FLOUNDERED AND SPLASHED, AND LASHED ABOUT THE SHALLOW WATER PROTESTINGLY. Bernice UTTERED A FRIGHTENED LITTLE CRY and clung to Sydney's arm in a panic. "'Do you see what she's doing?' "'She choked. "'Look at that awful—ah! "'But, good gracious, let's run. "'This is frightfully dangerous.' Sydney laughed. "'It isn't a bit dangerous, "'but I confess I never saw a girl "'with quite nerve enough for that. "'But Sydney, an alligator, "'a huge alligator— and in a pool like this. Why, these pools are full of them in the season, Sydney reassured her. They begin to come out of the mud at the bottom about now, for the summer season. They're harmless, and they're scared to death of humans, and are always trying to get away from them. People bathe and swim in these pools, with half a dozen of them peacefully occupying the other side, Bernice, however, continued to shiver and shudder and quake. Just then the girl on the opposite bank stood up, took a flying leap, and dove straight into the pool, not twenty feet from where the old gator was trying clumsily to burrow into the mud and sand at the water's edge. With a great shouting and splashing, she drove him back on shore again and then clambered out herself to scramble up the steep bank and continue her teasing and prodding from above. But when she reached the top she caught sight of two visitors on the opposite bank and hesitated for a visible moment. In this moment the old gator clumsily waddled down to the water and was lost to sight in an unbelievably short space of time. But the girl, after another glance across the pool, turned and fled hastily through the grove and into the farmhouse, and was lost to view. "'Let's go back home, Sidney,' shuddered Bernice. "'I'm scared to death to stay around here with that awful creature so near. It can't be safe.' "'Nonsense! It's as safe as a church. This is just your first experience.' "'You'll get so used to seeing em "'you won't even give em a second glance after a while. "'We'll walk around to the house slowly, "'giving her time to dress, "'and then make our party call. "'I'm crazy to see old Jerry. "'He's been a famous guide in his day. "'Knows the Everglades like a book, they tell me. "'Protesting still, Bernice allowed herself to be reluctantly led along, and presently they stood before the tumbled-down veranda on which were now blooming ferns of wonderful, luxurious, in-old soap-boxes and leaky pails. Sydney advanced boldly up the rickety steps and knocked at the half-open door. A fat, unkept, and more than middle-aged woman answered his knock. Her hair had obviously not been combed that day. She held in one hand a corn cob pipe, and there were unmistakable signs that she was addicted to snuff. To Sydney's polite good afternoon, she responded, Hey, which appeared to be the typical cracker, greeting of that neighbourhood. Is is the young girl who lives here at home today? He stammered scarcely knowing what to inquire she stared at him in stolid wonder but her only reply was to hold the door wider and say come in and set won't you they both entered somewhat timidly to behold a man seated by the empty old chimney-place rocking silently in a decrepit rocker smoking as silently a blackened pipe which he removed only long enough to nod to both and resumed without uttering a word. "'If this was the famous Jerry Sawgrass,' thought Sydney, his appearance was a decided disappointment. His faded cotton shirt, dirty khaki trousers, and heavy boots suggested nothing of his romantic calling. His heavy, bearded face, with the long moustache ends, falling down to mingle with the unkept beard, was more like the ancient buccaneers of history, to Sidney's mind, than in keeping with a half-breed Indian guide. However, here he was, but there was still no sign of the youngest member of the trio. In utter silence the four sat for several awful moments, and then Sidney plucked up courage to ask for the unseen girl— and tell briefly the reason for their visit. The only response to the tale was that the woman lifted up her voice and called loudly, "'Dal, Dal, come out. I reckon you are want it.' After another long interval, a door to an inner room opened, and the girl stepped out, clothed as she had been at their first encounter, a half-frightened, half inquiring expression in her big eyes. Sydney rose courteously, explained again their visit, and presented the box of candy, laying it in her reluctant hands. An embarrassed pause ensued while she stood there, staring down at it, plainly at an utter loss, how to proceed with the amenities. It was Bernice who came to her rescue, May I open it for you? she asked, and took the package from the girl's unresisting hands. Removing the wrapper, she had a sudden inspiration, took off the cover, popped one of the candies into the girl's open mouth, placed one in her own, and passed the box around the room to all the others. It was decidedly not according to Hoyle, but it worked miraculously the ice was broken a delighted smile overspread the faces of the girl and the woman even old jerry relaxed into what passed for a pleased grin my ain't them good things commented the woman and bernice promptly passed her another in a moment they were all munching contentedly and the woman was telling how she hadn't had no candy since she left her home two months ago sidney then thought he'd try his hand at drawing out jerry and begun on a series of animated questions about the everglades but jerry was either no conversationalist or he did not feel communicative that day for not a word could the boy draw from him nods and grunts affirmative or negative he granted but not another expression issued from behind his solemn beard at last the boy gave it up in despair and the two visitors rose and took their departure no one asked them to come again except the woman who was plainly trying to make up for the deficiency in affability of her lord and master he's got the misery in his back today she explained. He's often took that way. That's why he can't live in them swamps no more. The girl seemed to have faded imperceptibly into the background, and was nowhere to be seen when they left. But down by the edge of the pool, and well out of sight of the house, they were suddenly arrested by her figure, rising up unexpectedly from a big scrub palmetto clump Wait, she said. Don't talk too loud, please. And she glanced over her shoulder back at the cottage. I, I want to, to thank you again for the candy. Oh, the thanks are all on my side, exclaimed Sid gallantly. If it hadn't been for you, I might have been in pretty bad shape. The doctor said you made a splendid job of it, left very little for him to do. I'm glad, "'She said simply, then hurried on. "'But I want to say something else. "'I don't want them to know. "'They mightn't like it. "'But I—I wish you would come often, both of you. "'I—I'm lonesome.' "'She stopped abruptly, as if frightened at having said so much. "'Why, of course we'll come,' declared Bernice, impulsively. We'll come every time we can manage it, and we'll take you out in the car for rides sometimes, if you care to go. Oh, no, no, the girl protested in quite inexplicable panic. I can't do that. They, they wouldn't like it. But why not? Demanded Bernice indignantly. It's perfectly safe. Sydney is a splendid driver. It isn't that. They they don't care for me to see many people. Bernice stared at her in amazed incredulity. But pardon me, may I ask why? What possible harm can there be in it? The girl became very much embarrassed. It is, is hard to explain. I know, I just can't explain it. I'm afraid. But if they think I am seeing any, any outside as much, they will move away again, to some place that is farther off from people. I can't understand it, cried Bernice, but Sydney interposed. Well, never mind if you can't, that's not our affair, but we'll come whenever we can anyway. How shall we manage it, though, if we're not to let, er, uh, Mr. Sawgrass and his wife know of our visits?' He turned questioningly to the girl. "'If you'll leave the car a good ways off in the brush and never come over this side of the pool, it'll be all right. Don't try to call me or signal to me in any way. I'll be over there a part of every day. I'll always see you. But won't they be, er, I mean your father and his wife, ever come over on this side?' questioned Sydney. An indignant flush spread under the girl's dark skin. He, he isn't, that is, I call him Uncle Jerry, she retorted. No, they will not go over that side. The truth is, he has some kind of disease. I don't know what it is. The hookworm, perhaps. Though he sees an old doctor up this way sometimes, and he says it isn't the hookworm. Anyhow, He can't live in the Everglades any more, and he can't get around much. And she, an expression of faint contempt, appeared in her face for an instant. She takes snuff and is very lazy. She never goes out of the house or beyond the yard and garden if she can help it. She won't go round the pool. She walked along with them to the other side of the pool and they came to where the car stood. Bernice's mind was fairly sizzling with a host of questions that she longed to ask, yet something in the strange girl's restraint prevented her from uttering them. You've been very, very good to me, the girl said wistfully as they clambered in, to bring me all that candy. I never had anything like it before. Tell me, asked Bernice, for this she felt would be a quite legitimate question. "'Have you lived in the Everglades all your life, before this?' "'Yes, either in them or right on the edge. This is the first time I've ever been so far from them.' As they started the car and prepared to drive away, Bernice suddenly leaned out. "'We'll come again very soon.' I most forgot. We haven't even told you our names. I'm Bernice Conant, and this is my cousin, Sidney Conant. We're living at Jasper, the Phosphate town about twelve miles from here, and shall we call you Dell? Again the annoyed flush crept up under the girl's dark skin. They call me that, but my real name is Delight.' AND SHE TURNED AND DISAPPEARED INTO THE UNDERBRUSH. END OF CHAPTER THREE